Hello, welcome to Leading with Grace, the podcast for women going through separation and divorce. My name is Hio, and I'm your host. I'm a certified life and spiritual mastery coach, and here I get to show you how your divorce doesn't have to be devastating, but that actually it could be the means of greater discipleship with your Savior, Jesus Christ, as you connect with Him in a higher and holier way. Let me show you how. Hello and welcome back everyone to Leading with Grace. I am so excited to share with you today's um, episode and it's going to be a little bit different because my very good friend and coach, um, Julie Osman, is in North Carolina visiting me. So say hello, Julie. Hi everybody. It's so great to be here. Theo is so funny. She's she like, I. it's my birthday month and I said, I'm now accepting lunch dates. And she's like, if you can make it to North Carolina, I will take you out to sushi. So I made it to North Carolina. <laughs> so can you guys, it's possible. <laughs> and so if you want to see this, um, well, live meaning like on video form, you can just go onto my YouTube channel and I'll have that in the show notes. And then you can see all three of us. And so I thought it would be really fun to, um, to invite Julie onto this podcast episode with Leah Davidson. And Leah Davidson is a trauma coach. And um, and the reason why I have invited her was I want her to talk about how, how trauma from our past life, from our past experience can affect how we um, handle our pre-divorce in the midst and thick of things as we were like, in divorce process and then post-divorce. And so um, with that being said, I would like to turn the time over to Leah to introduce herself to all of you. Hello. Well, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. And I'm excited to have both of you here because I think we'll have a great little roundtable conversation. Um, I am a coach, obviously, and I'm from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And I coach people really who have experienced a lot of stress in their lives, burnout, compassion, fatigue, trauma, and uh, my jam is nervous system resilience. I am also a speech pathologist and I have worked for the past close to 25 years now in the area of traumatic brain injury. So that was really my first exposure to what we would call big T trauma, as I've helped people over the years navigate changes in their life, changes in their identity, go through um, really the sometimes the biggest adversity in their lives. And then I went through my own divorce and have had my own adversity surrounding that. And all that together has sort of created my my interest in coaching who I coach and really beginning to understand how the mind and the body are connected. And we really have to take care of both of them in order to, to heal. So I'm happy to be here and to chat with you. Awesome. All right. So the first question I, I, that came up in my mind is how would you define nervous? What did you call it? Um, nervous system resilience, nervous system resilience. Like (laughs) what is that first of all? So we often hear about nervous system regulation and so our nervous system is essentially how the brain and the body communicate with each other. It, it encompasses our brainstem, spinal cords, and all the nerves bi-directional goes back and forth primarily through the something called the vagus nerve. Um, and resilience, as you probably are aware, is this idea that we can bounce back, that we can um, 
bend and not break, we can fall apart and pick ourselves back up again. Regulation is often what we refer to as being able to come back to homeostasis, come back home, come back to sort of our, our set temperature. But I really do think that our nervous system, it's about being resilient. It's about being able to deal with whatever adversity is thrown at us. Sometimes we need to be activated. Sometimes we are a little bit less activated. It's our ability to go up and down, ebb and flow, coming back to our home base. So that is to me, the foundation of almost everything that we do sits on our ability to manage our nervous system. And I, I believe our nervous system is resilient. We can teach it to be even more resilient. Um, and that's, that's what I love to show people how to do. That's so beautiful. And how long have you been, how long have you been coaching about nervous system resilience? So like I said, because I've been a speech pathologist for the past 25 years, and when most people think of speech paths, they're like, oh, do you work with kids with R's and, and, and S's and stutters? And I don't. I've worked with, in this area, it's called cognitive communication. And it sort of started out, I help people with their memory, with their attention, all their executive function skills. And um, throughout the years, I just saw that people needed more. I became a life coach about 10 years ago. I did one certification with a client actually, who needed somebody to do the um, course with her because she she wasn't able to, to cope with it on her own. And I did it. And I was like, oh, this is so good. It matches everything that I do. And then just, I eventually became certified with a life coach school, started doing a lot more work, diving a lot more into specific areas about resilience and about nervous system and was working in those areas with my speech pathology, traumatic brain injury clients. And then just gradually um, my coaching business has expanded. And so bringing all that over to the other side. So it's hard to sort of pinpoint because really my experience has been over the past 25 years when, you know, working with trauma, probably not not even realizing that I was working so much with the nervous system at that time, because it wasn't really talked about as much. It's much more of a buzzword now. And it was probably about five years ago that I was like, oh, okay, this is how it all comes together. This is a missing piece. This is what I've actually been doing. I just didn't even realize I was doing it. So that's a bit of it. It's so beautiful. I love that. So thank you for sharing your journey and, and just coming to realize that um, it was progressive and ever evolving, and here you are now. Yes. And so, I, um, I, I saw that you were on a previous podcast about how how your parenting can, like, how you parent can be affected. Can be affected. Am I saying that right? By like past trauma, yes. and it made me think about divorce. Okay, mm -hmm. and how we we go into our separation and divorce, and like when as I'm thinking back on my, I've been separated two years. And if you asked me two years ago, you know, um, why I was handling my separation the way I was handling my separation, I would totally like throw like my spouse under the bus, right? Right. <laughs> realizing now that, you know what, there may be more to why I'm reacting the way I'm reacting. Right. And it could be as simple as I just didn't know mind work. I didn't know thought work. Okay. And mm -hmm. that might be true. But when I like, but when I started thinking about, well, what if, my past experiences is affecting how I'm handling the situation. I don't know. It just, 
in, in a really weird way, made me realize that maybe I have some more power and control over my thoughts and feelings and actions, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so can you talk a little bit about how, first of all, how you define trauma and how past trauma can affect how you think and feel and act during a separation and divorce? Right, right. I know that's well, a lot. Sorry, I just kind of threw it Yeah, no, that's okay. That's okay. Before <laughs> we jump into trauma, I do want to just talk just a little bit about the nervous system because I think that speaks to how we can talk about trauma is our, our nervous system is constantly scanning for safety and danger. And that's really all it knows. And and based on what it picks up in the environment, what it picks up internally and what it picks up between us, it's going to assign us in a state of safety or a state of danger, a state of connection or a state of protection. And um, our nervous system has been created throughout our entire life. Like when we're in utero, we we are feeding from our mother's nervous system. So we have these imprints along the way, which sort of shape what our nervous system is. And we start responding to things as a way to adapt to the stressors in our life. So as a young child, things would happen to you. Sometimes they would be what we'll talk about, quote unquote, traumatic. And sometimes it's just everyday life things that were overwhelming for our system. And so we learned how to cope in certain ways. We picked up on certain tendencies and certain habits and certain ways that we coped. And that's important because we're supposed to pick up on strategies and ways to cope, but there are healthy ways to do it. And then there are unhealthy ways to do it. And of course, as a child, you don't know any different. You're just doing things to survive. Well, what happens is sometimes we get stuck in certain, I, I talk about, you know, there's these zones, we have this safe social zone. And then sometimes we get stuck where we are constantly maybe being activated because we're sensing danger, we feel threatened, maybe we're growing up in an environment where there was abuse or neglect, or maybe it was simply we had overpowering siblings, or we had a parent who struggled with anxiety, or we were bullied in school, all these things left an imprint on us. And that imprint is really what trauma is. We get stuck in an environment where our nervous system can't handle it. And our response is a traumatic response. We carry that and we continue that like on a daily basis. We're scanning safety, danger, safety, danger. And if I have been exposed to a lot of danger in my life, I am more likely to find more danger and I am more likely to continue to be using the strategies, the adaptations that I created when I was a child, whether they were good ones or bad ones, which I think leads us to even before the divorce, we sort of look at who we're choosing as partners, why we're choosing them as partners. Often we're choosing what's familiar And we are responding in familiar ways, which means that we could just be coming into a relationship that maybe is not even a healthy relationship from the get-go, simply because of our past experiences as as children and what our nervous system was exposed to. Oh, that's so interesting. And I remember you saying that like trauma is not the the situation, but trauma is our response. response. Totally. Because what happens is you can have lots of experiences in your life 
and it's not going to affect me the same way it's going to affect you. Even within a family, you can have certain kids who are quote unquote traumatized and other ones not. And that is because of how they responded. We do know that there is some genetics in, in how sensitive we are and, you know, there's highly sensitive people. So that can play a role, certain personality characteristics, but we also know like birth order and what was going on in the lives of our caretakers and what was happening in the world around us and the friends we had and who we were exposed to. All those things, if our system became overwhelmed, we will have trauma, but it may not overwhelm my sister or my brother. And so we will all have different experiences. So you can't really label things as a traumatic experience because we do it anyways, just by ease of there are certain things I referred to earlier, you know, my work with brain injury that um, there's big T traumas, which are, are traumas that we all would probably say, oh, yeah, you know, war and accidents and and abuse that's considered big T traumas. And then there's something called little T traumas, which are sort of the more chronic and subtle and consecutive things. So it could be it could be neglect. It certainly is things like divorce um, for children when their their parents divorce. But it could just be um you know, having a bad experience at school, it could be just being painfully shy and being forced into situations that you're not exactly comfortable with. These small T traumas, even though we've labeled them as small T, they can have lasting effects. And, you know, if it's cumulative, it can really wreak havoc on your nervous system and you can get stuck in these dysregulated states. And that almost becomes your way of life. You don't even realize that you're dysregulated. It's just who you are. And I think that when I've talked with people who have been divorced, often I hear them say, I didn't even realize that my entire marriage, I was dysregulated. I was functioning from that dysregulated place. And I had no clue. I just thought, what's wrong with me? Why can't I deal with it? Why can't I suck it up? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Without realizing this was really a trauma response and, and I, I just didn't know how to do it. And when you understand that the trauma response and your nervous system is physiological, I think it removes all the shame and the blame. It's not a choice. It's not a weakness. It's not a moral judgment. It's a physiological response to threats that your nervous system has picked up based on all the imprints of your entire life. That reminds me of um, when I was reading um, Atlas of the Heart from Brene Brown, and she talks about having, you know, a thousand little tiny paper cuts all yes. over your body, mm. where, you know, you think of one paper cut and how, how painful that is, especially when it gets aggravated by you know, alcohol or an, um, an acid or something like that. But if you have it all over your body, you're just in this constant state of, ouch, that hurts exactly. and, even, and it's the tiniest thing. So you think it shouldn't hurt, but it does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, you know, and as you're talking, it's like, I'm just realizing right now, like I have been dysregulated my whole right. life. <laughs> that's the majority of the time when You're I coach like, people oh, that's yeah. it almost totally inevitably when I coach people with divorce uh who are going through a divorce we'll we'll start with just coaching and then as 
I start explaining the nervous system and how it works and what it means to, you know, have a trauma response and go through all that. There's usually this moment of, oh my gosh, I know exactly. I have felt what you were talking about. I just didn't know. And usually, I don't know how it is for you, but usually there was so much judgment on that. And, and when you can understand it's physiology, it's not morality. It's not a choice that you made. It's not, it's just for survival. That is all you knew. And in a sense, like, thank you. Thank you, nervous system, for taking care of me and thinking you had to protect me. And I'm ready now to learn how to be safe. And I'm ready now to say, I don't need that protection anymore. And when you do that and you learn how to create safety, that is where you can start creating that joyful, resilient life. Okay. So, all right. So Julie, I have a question for you. Sure. So I'm curious to know, all right, as we're talking about dysregulation, like, does any of that resonate with you? Like, did you ever, did you ever recognize that like in the moment that you were being dysregulated or, or, or I don't know. Talk to me about that. I mean, not until I learned about what dysregulation was, yeah. I had no idea that that's what was happening for me. Yeah. But when I learned what it was, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, as you're talking, I'm going, oh, and this time, and this time, and this time. Um, <laughs> and I, it was such a beautiful process once I realized how to regulate and how to recognize it and not just live in that. While, while I was going through, um, you know, my marriage crumbling and the divorce process, I, I didn't have those tools until towards the end of that. Mm -hmm. And so there was a very long time period of time, probably several years that I was just in a constant state of, um, heightened dysregulation. And I, you know, I would go on the higher end, not the lower end of right. emotional, you know, if you're looking at a re regulation yeah. window and, um, when I learned how to get myself back into that window of, of calm with breath work, with um, meditation, with the self-soothing, um, mm -hmm. that was, that was amazing. But even more amazing, I still felt that pain yeah. that comes along with that emotional pain that feels physical. Mm -hmm. I still felt that until I learned how to become resilient like there's such a difference. I love how you said it earlier. There's such a difference between regulation because that feels temporary to me and yeah. resilience, which is more long lasting. I don't have that emotional pain anymore mm -hmm. when things are thrown at me. I'm like, oh, I know how to handle this because I do know that I am resilient mm -hmm. uh, where I just didn't have the tools before right. to, to keep it in, um, in that window of tolerance. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to note too, that some people will always feel that emotional pain, but they also know that they can handle it because we all, our nervous systems are all different. And so, so when some people confront pain, it's, you're able to confront it. I, and I say to my clients, we're trying to confront pain in a light and easy way. And, you know, I work with a lot of people of chronic pain and, and chronic illness as well. And that's the same 
approach that we take, the more you fear the pain, the stronger it's going to be. And it's the same way with that emotional pain. So when you are so resistant to any type of emotional pain, when you're going through the divorce, the more resistant you are, the bigger it is. And learning to be resilient is learning to sort of like, yeah, you just notice it. Oh, here you are. You're like a guest. Are you are you here for dinner? Then pull up a seat. And and I don't have that fear because I know you're going to leave. And I know I get to decide when you leave. I know that I can say, you may be here. Oh, you're spending the week. Okay, that's great. Or you know what? I, I don't want you here right now. And there's the door. And that resilience is I can fall apart because I know I can stand back up. I can be weak because I know in that weakness is also my strength. And, and so that is the resilience that, that you can have when you just fully embrace all the emotions. Wow. Yeah. So good. I think the, what, what came up for me in regards to like dysregulation is um, I, I never felt safe mm -hmm. um, to just say what I wanted. Like it, right. it, it yeah. could be like, and it's not like anything big, right? Like it was like, no, I don't want to cook tonight. Can we just go out or no, I want to do this, or I'd rather do this, or I want to go on a trip. Like just like little things like that. And I'm just realizing, oh my gosh, like I, I never felt safe. And I'm, when I say that, I'm not blaming it on him at all. No, like, no, I, yeah, I, it's I, your, your, your perception of safety and danger is fully created by you. In, in terms of it, it is your nervous system that has been taught along the way, what is safe and what is dangerous. There are true dangerous situations. Like if you are in the middle of a war zone or you are in a situation where somebody is directly abusing you, but the majority of the time we are empirically safe. We may not feel emotionally safe with different people, which is, I like to separate it out for people, but empirically you are safe. Once you establish that safety, then you can move on to, okay, I don't feel safe though. And that is a body thing. And, and when you can learn how to recognize and then bring safety to that, you, you start to be able to, you know, tolerate things more and speak up more. Um, and so it is for a lot of people, they have never felt safety. Their, their window, their zone of safety is so, so, so small. And that's what trauma does. It reduces your ability to feel safe in mm -hmm. any situation. So good. And I think there's some, I'm sorry. There's something that you said and, and the thought that I had was that, um, well, no, actually it's probably more of a realization is that even though I like, I discovered coaching a year before my separation mm -hmm. and then I hired my first coach, um, six months before we actually were like physically separated and and as much as I loved coaching and all that thought work and everything, I couldn't figure out why I was so emotional. Like I couldn't, they're like, you just need to change your thoughts. And I'm like, it wasn't working. That's it. And I couldn't figure out, I'm like, maybe I just don't know coaching enough. Maybe I haven't done it long enough. Maybe I hired the wrong coach because I had, I had a one-on-one -on -one coach I was hiring. Yeah. And so, um, because it's all in the body. Mm -hmm. And I think, 
Was it I think amazing? it starts in that. I think it's both. Like I, I do, I think thought work is amazing, but if we do look at the nervous system, it's bi-directional, right? That vagus nerve, which is really responsible for getting us to calm. It runs, it courses through from the brainstem all the way down to our organs. It has branches to sort of our face, to our heart, and it communicates both ways. But the communication, only 20% of the communication goes from the brain to the body and 80% comes from the body up to the brain. So when we are doing thought work and when we are trying to change our thoughts, it, it can work because there is communication down to the body. And that's why it does work for, for many people. But then what also happens is sometimes people do get stuck because it's not enough because the body is like, yeah, I know that you're saying that, but I don't feel that way. And that's when, if we go into the body and get the body feeling safe, then the body can use 80% and be like, okay, I'm on board. I feel safe too. And then both are in alignment. And when we have alignment, that's when we have safety. That's when we have peace. That's when we have resilience. So I think it is both. There's a duality. We have to be doing top down and the bottom up. It's just the bottom up has a lot more pull to it because there is a lot more communication that the body is sending to the brain. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize that. No, but it makes me um, think of something that I've, that I've thought of recently, you know, in the last couple of years um, as to why it's so important to not procrastinate the day of our repentance. And, and let me just clarify that when I say repentance, it's totally about change and coming to more closer to Christ Not necessarily that you're doing something wrong or that you have something that you're, you know, is, isn't right about you, but just taking those steps to become more and more Christ-like is that we need our bodies in order to do that. Mm -hmm. Like our bodies are so important to that process that it's not as effective without our bodies. And that's why that scripture that it took on new meaning when I learned about somatic work and how important it was is I'm like, Oh my goodness. It's because it's so much easier to make those changes and to heal our spirits with our body than it is without our body. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's the totality of it. It's the wholeness of it that we need to be doing. And the change of heart. It's like, um, it really is. And if instead of seeing repentance as just I'm sorry and shame and Mm -hmm. retribution and earning and giving back, what if it really is just healing, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's it's like you were saying, it's the top down and the bottom Mm -hmm. up and getting those in a life, right? Yes. So that makes repentance and and even forgiveness in such Mm -hmm. a different life. Yeah, when I think of forgiveness, Um, I think of where does forgiveness take place in a regulated state or a dysregulated state? It's going to take place in a regulated state. And if I think like the best example we ever have of regulation is obviously Christ, you know, being completely, completely regulated with all the, all the emotions and thoughts and feelings that go along with that when we are able to regulate ourselves, when we are able to embrace all our emotions, 
forgiveness can be included in one of those emotions. Um, when we are dysregulated and we're either activated or we're under in that hypo aroused state, much harder to be trying to forgive somebody. I mean, you could pretty much forget about it when you're in an activated state, being able to forgive somebody because the flavor of being in an and irritability and defensiveness and anxiety and you know all those like you feel the charge in your body so when I say all those words like which word doesn't fit forgiveness like it doesn't fit with anger and defensiveness and and irritability but and it doesn't also fit when those in that hyper aroused state I call them team hyper and team hypo so when you're in team hypo and it's helpless and hopeless and sad and depressed and burnt out forgiveness no, it doesn't fit there either. But when we go up to that regulated state, this is where we find courage and compassion and care and tolerance and resilience and forgiveness. Ah, I found home. This is where forgiveness is. So when people are struggling with forgiveness, I do think we can do some mind work. We can do, we, we can talk about it. We can, you know, rationalize with ourselves. Say, yes, it's a gift for me. And this is how all those things that we can say. But I think true forgiveness is going to be when we feel in that place of safety and connection and true compassion when we're regulated. It, it almost is like just a natural process that, okay, I think I'm, I'm ready for forgiveness. I've surrounded myself with really these Christ-like attributes. I've surrounded myself with that. Let's throw forgiveness into the mix. And I think I'm ready for that now. Oh, wow. I love that. And it reminds me of a conversation we had the other day about joy mm -hmm. and just how, when we are in alignment and it sounds like the top down and bottom up, like they are regulated and that we can really experience and bring in joy. Yeah, you know, the gratitude and the graciousness, yeah. and because all those live there in peace, in peace there. Mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes when we think of joy, we're just like, oh, happy, happy, joy, joy state. But joy is also peaceful. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. And all those emotions can only take place when you are feeling safe and regulated like again try putting joy up with anger pressure like it's like a little game like which one doesn't fit and you just move yeah. the puzzle they all are going to fit when we are regulated and so if we are struggling with getting our mind around something that we can try to do it from our body and and when we do it from our body that's when we can sometimes see these shifts start to happen yeah and there is such a connection with our body and spirits too, Absolutely. you know, yeah. and, um, and I know like from my personal experience, and I know that from just talking to Julie and, and with her personal experience, like it is possible to get to this state in the midst of a divorce. Yes. It's mm -hmm. not. Yes. It's um, I don't think it's, it wasn't automatic for me. I don't think it was automatic for you, but um, it's possible. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think for me, like with my divorce, um, so I've been married for about 22 years and um, all of a sudden we started to argue and, it, you know, it wasn't like all of a sudden, like one day we weren't and one day we were, it was just like a frequency of the argument started coming more and more and more around year 22. And I couldn't understand what was going on. I'm just like, we never argue, like what's happening here? But 
progressively, it became worse and worse and worse. And so my nervous system was all out of whack. But thankfully, the Lord led me to um, this beautiful, beautiful woman, actually two beautiful women, one who did yoga therapy, which was a game changer for me because top therapy was not helping because it was all up here. I had to get into my body in order to have um, healing happen. And then another one who did a lot of breath work. Um, she's, she's a licensed therapist turned life coach. Mm-hmm. Um, because she was just like, yeah, all the talk therapy wasn't working. So we had to get into the body and those two, those two therapies changed, um, my ability to regulate so quickly, mm-hmm. that even though my marriage was tanking and that in my home, there was such heightened stress. Mm-hmm. I had been taught how to how to regulate that and manage that. And so even though that situation continued to um, deteriorate, I was able to have a homeostasis within me. And um, I was telling Hio that before I found that, I probably would have had a very bitter divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a challenging and difficult divorce, but um, I showed up in peace and love only honestly through the grace of God showing me and connecting me with these women to show me how to regulate myself with my body and, and keep that feeling of peace and joy and love and forgiveness um, throughout that whole divorce process. Um, And the funny, not the funny thing, but um, the beautiful thing is that didn't happen for both of us. I'm the one that felt that Mm -hmm. my children felt that from me, that was felt in my home. It was felt by other people who associated with me, but it wasn't something that was between myself and my former spouse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, that totally does. And then you were able to really what we call co-regulate, right? You were able to, you know, connect with your kids. We, our kids feed off of our nervous system, other people feed off our nervous system, you fed off of these women who introduced different tools. And I love there are so many different tools. It, you know, things don't always resonate with different people. Um, I do, I do breath work and tapping and, and these are a lot of somatic tools. And sometimes people are just like, yeah, that not for me, but there'll be something else. I, I think it's, it's trying to find what is a good combination with maybe the mindset work and, and the mindset work will only work when you are regulated. Because one of the things that happens when you become dysregulated is you lose access to your thinking skills. That's just by nature. You know, we don't need our thinking skills when we're in survival. We have like a smidgen of them. And I always say to people, use that smidgen of them to remind yourself to regulate And if you've been practicing how to regulate all the way along, then it's much easier because it becomes more automatic. But that's why for so many people, somatically is the way to go because they're in dysregulation. They don't have access to talking and to the the thoughts and all those things that we traditionally use for mindset work. Get into the body. And when they get into the body, they get regulated. Now let's start talking. And and then you can actually have a, a lot of change by doing talk therapy when you are in that regulated state. Oh, that yes, so that's one thing that Hio and I were talking about last night. Is just that we're so 
it's so amazing to us and such a beautiful gift that there are so many different modalities to mm-hmm. heal yeah. and that works for whoever, you know, whatever stage you're in, because it's not that breath work wouldn't work for everybody, but maybe somebody's in a different stage that they don't really have access to that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the yoga therapy, like I was telling her, I had been feeling impressed to do that for three years before I mm. actually took action on it oh, wow. because I wasn't actually, oh, I didn't say the three no, years yeah. part. No, I said three years. And I was telling her that, um, I just, I let money be, uh, a reason why I didn't do that. But finally money didn't matter anymore because I was so dysregulated Mm-hmm. Uh, but my point is, it's just that yoga had, it wasn't something that I was open to for those mm-hmm. first three years. And then I finally got to a point where I'm like, I need something. And it just kept coming back. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll try it. And, um, but that was just one, one modality. There's, the right. best, there's meditation, there's um, exercise, there's just music, movement. Yeah. just everything. It's we, about getting to safety. So yeah. what, what, for you is the way that you can get to safety. And that's always our goal. And that's why for some people, it, it's not like you said, it's not like the modalities don't work. They they do work. But for different people, like for some people, breath work is just too intense and it's sending off too many signs of danger. It might work further down the line. Um, but for some people, depending on what their experience has been, what how their nervous system has been imprinted, they may be like, no, I that to me is danger because of my experience. So you're always wanting to ask yourself, what feels safe? What do I need right now? What is going to be calming and invigorating to my body? And, and that's what you want to go. And that's why it's good to be exposed and to try different things because you, you likely don't know if you've been dysregulated for so long, feeling regulated is actually scary. It's foreign. You don't know what it feels like. And that's why you have to sort of just dip a toe in one thing, pull back out, dip a toe in something else, pull back out. You don't want to do, you know, too quickly because that can overwhelm the system. You just want to, I'm going to try this. I'm going to see what happens. No judgment, no commitment really at the beginning, just to try it. Does this feel safe? Does this feel good? Yes. I'm going to keep going with it. Okay. I'm just having another aha moment of like, there are times like the beginning stages of my separation where I really did feel peace and calm, but at the same time, it's like, no, this shouldn't be happening. I should be on like alert. Like I should like have like my eyes should be wide open and I should be looking for danger. And so, yeah, just when those, when I had those moments of regulation where I was like calm and I felt peace and aligned at the same time, there was this war going on of like, no, this is not how it should be. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, when you're dysregulated for a long period of time, like I said, safety usually feels dangerous. And and that's why usually the the first thing that we work on when people have experienced trauma Mm -hmm. is feeling safe. And when you can help people, even as coaches, you know, there is, there is concern about re-traumatizing our clients. Um, 
not deliberately, obviously none of us want to do that, but sometimes by bringing up certain things, we can re-traumatize somebody. But if we put our focus initially on safety and helping them understand what feels safe for them, helping them get to safety, know what their safety anchors are, then we are like much less likely to be leading them to re-traumatization because they always have that grounding of safety. So that's that's sort of where you want to start with, with, in my opinion, all your clients is that's where you want to start. Yeah. So, okay. So I have a question and this might be a very broad question, but how, what are some signs of dysregulation? Like someone is listening to this podcast. Okay. And, and they're probably asking themselves, okay, I'm, I'm going through a divorce. How do I know I'm, I'm dysregulated? How do I know I'm in trauma mode? Um, what are some signs? What are some symptoms? And and like I said, that might be too broad, but can you kind of give us an insight? So, I mean, the simplest way to look at it is when you are dysregulated, you either are going to be activated. So you go into that hyper aroused state and that is where fight and flight live. So fight, you may recognize that you are angry, that you're frustrated, that you're irritable, that you're defensive. If you are in flight, that might look like you are just constantly keeping yourself busy. You probably have a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, maybe a lot of rumination. Um, people who are sometimes chronically busy are stuck in like a perfectionist mode where I just, I can't put it down until it's done. That's an indicator of being in flight. There's also freeze and freeze is, and we can have something called functional freeze where it's basically a combination of being activated and also in this shutdown mode, like so almost paralyzed. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. The functional freeze is, is I'm continuing on in my everyday life, but I just, I can't feel anything. I'm sort of numb out, but I'm still moving. Or you could be in that hypo aroused state. And this is where people are struggling. You'll, you'll recognize things like um, depression, sadness, burnout, really hopeless, helpless, um, almost like a woe is me victim attitude that you'll feel. And so those are all signs that you're in dysregulation, just in a nutshell. When you are regulated, again, those are where you're going to have feelings of tolerance, compassion, peace, joy. Um, you still will have up and downs but you are not scared of your emotions. The other ones are very fear-driven. Whereas when you're regulated, it is driven more by peace. Um, it's normal for us to be going up and down in all of these areas. Our goal is not to just sort of stay stable with no ups and downs. We want a healthy nervous system that is able to respond appropriately. When it's in danger, real danger, it needs to act as if it's in real danger. It needs to take things in control. Um, but we don't want to be stuck in that state. We need to be able to come up and down. So if you find yourself chronically dealing with one of that fight or flight or that shutdown, it's a good indicator that you are stuck in a dysregulated state. So good to know. So then what's next? Like, they're thinking, okay, I am in dysregulation. I yeah. don't know how to get out of my body. I don't know how to not fight. Yeah. I don't know how to not freeze. Mm -hmm. So then what's the next step? I usually 
suggest people that they do spend a little time trying to figure out what their, I call it their landscape, what their landscape looks like. So what does fight or flight look like for you? So you can start identifying things. So start building that awareness. I think awareness is the most important piece. And then the next step is to, okay, I recognize I'm, I'm dysregulated, recognize it's a physiological response. So there's no shame. There's no blame. Like I said before, it's, it's not a weakness. It's not a, a moral failing, but okay, for whatever reason, and we don't even have to figure out the reason at the beginning, whatever reason, I'm just stuck in this dysregulation. I need to start thinking of things that will help me feel safer. And then you will want to do, I mean, ideally working with somebody to help guide you, that makes it, you know, sort of bypass a bunch of steps. But I think it's like what Julie said, it's just, you start trying things. I'm going to try to do some exercise. I'm going to try to do some meditation. I'm going to try to take a creative class. I'm going to try to um, spend more time with people that I feel lift me up. Those are all things that can help you widen your zone and help you feel safer but you you have to be willing to dabble in different things there there are like things that research has shown like exercise and meditation and creativity um even things like laughter social connection those things we know are proven to help widen your your zone breath work is a huge one different kinds of breath work because I, I'm, I'm assuming that some of it that you're talking about, Julie, is that activated where you can get that activated state, but their breath work is also very, very deregulating. Um, just relaxing your body is um, a way to start. When people are in that activated state, they're either in that fight or flight, you may have ex energy that you want to move through and get out. And that's where things like exercise is going to be crucial for you every day, completing that stress cycle, getting that, that energy out. But for other people, it may be a tenseness that they have like a constant rigidity and maybe even accompanied with pain. And then we're going to want to work on softening. And with my clients, I get them to work on things like the rag doll is, is one thing that I teach them. It's just really, okay. Letting your body go limp, letting your body just relax because stress and anxiety and fear, it cannot live in a relaxed body. So changing your physiology can help you get into that safe zone very organically. And I kind of want to add that I don't think love and peace and joy can live in a rigid body. I totally agree have to have that softening and it talks about the softening of the heart, you, but also yeah. of your body, of your, um, you know, whole, whole being yeah. in order to live in those states that Christ really has invited us to be mm -hmm. in love, in peace, in joy. Right. Yeah. Um, and I also think that when you're trying all these other things like breath work, and I want to throw in you know, music therapy, just because that's Absolutely. for me mm -hmm. um, to also go back and check in, go back and take inventory is like, how am I yeah. feeling now? Am I still in a heightened state? Did that help me? Yeah. Because I think a lot of times as humans, at least I do this, I'm like, okay, 
I'm going to exercise. I'm going to check this off my box and then I'm going to be good. Right. So, yeah. Like, on my way. It's actually is a hyper zone to be. <laughs> but what you yeah. were talking about before is like, it's natural for us to go yeah. up and down, but you know, like I want to set it and forget it. Like yeah. I do not want to have to yeah. keep checking back in, but we have yeah. to, because where I get into trouble is where I think, okay, I'm doing these things. I'm good. But then I'm unaware of something else that maybe has crept in or I right. haven't been paying attention. And so we constantly need to go back and like mm-hmm. check our temperature. Where are we? Exactly. Where am I? Yeah. Yeah. With my clients, one of the things that we do is we do a workshop on creating their own personalized menu, their own menu of how to grow their zone and their own menu of how to downregulate and how to upregulate. And in this menu at the beginning is just for them to, okay, I'm going to try this now. I'm going to try it. And you will go through. And I say to them, like afterwards, is this like a yes or a no? And just cross it off. And eventually what happens is, is we will create that laminated menu that will be good for a period of time until you want to change it up again by learning new things. But I do think it is important that we we have different resources. We're trying out different resources and we're consistently checking back. Is this doing what I want it to do? Is it helping me in the way I want it to be helping me? So good. And just like when you were talking and sharing your experience, Julie, um, it reminded me of another conversation we had the other day <laughs> about how we've been talking. It, we've been That's talking right. We've been talking a lot. <laughs> Next time you're invited, come on, I'm just straight down. But, um, but you were talking about how it's so important that we discover who we are, like being who we are. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we are in that softened state and we have a softened heart, where we allow peace and love and joy to come in. Like that really is our true self, right? Our true nature. Our yeah. true nature. And I just like, and what came to me is like, God is always like on the mission for us to, ha- to help us to get to that point. Yes. You know, like he wants us to discover and be aligned with, in our, with our true nature and he's going to help us. Mm-hmm. That's right. Like, like you, like your experience of having the, the impression, um, to look into yoga therapy. I think it's beautiful that he gave you three years to kind of like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try this again. Here's the other prompting. <laughs> and then it's, you know, then it's a book, you know, <laughs> he just out here and I'm stubborn and he's like, Oh, we got to start early on this one. <laughs> That's right. I think it's so cool that then once you did that, then you discover something else and he's just mm-hmm. kind of like allowing you, I don't know, giving you, I don't know what, but just giving you these ideas. It truly is, you know, the whole process, an idea of opening my eyes and and eventually I had eyes to see and ears Mm. to hear. Like, it's not that he wasn't giving me the message. It was that I wasn't open to it. And as soon as I did open myself up to it, I was able to see everything that he had been, you know, presenting to me and saying, look, I've got this smorgasbord of things to help you choose, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I look at it like, you know, when you you think of a child who maybe is having a struggle and you go to them and, and you sit with them for a little bit and then you ask them, you know, are you are you ready to have this or do you want to talk about it? No. OK, I'll I'll come back. I'll check back with you. And you may leave them alone to sort of do their thing. And you, you peek your head back in the bedroom and, you know, do you want something to eat? Are you ready to, <laughs> you yeah. know, you keep checking in. And I kind of think of that like 
Well, that's our savior. He's going from room to room like, hey, you know, I'll be back. I'm going to go check over here now. How's this person doing? And I'll be back. And then eventually, you know, that child is just like, yeah, starts talking then or says like, okay, I'm ready to eat now. I'm ready to share what happened. I'm ready. And that's when he's like, okay. And if it takes three, five, 10 years, it's just going to keep checking just going to keep checking in because I, I do think he wants us to be our highest self and that highest self resides in a regulated body. And that is where we can receive inspiration. And that is where we can become more like him in that highest self. Yeah. So if someone chooses, chooses to not do this work, because we all have a choice mm -hmm. and, um, <clears throat> what would you say would be the implications? And again, this might be a very broad. Yeah. I was like, this is leading into a whole other podcast. I know. We can talk about it. We, we may do yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. We can do. Um, but yeah, you know, honestly, I, I think what happens is uh, our body cannot tolerate being in a state of dysregulation for, for so long. And, you know, initially it's like, we get a tap on the shoulder like, okay, you need to take care of this, uh, you know, it gets firmer, you need to take care of this, it gets firmer, you need to take care of this until something happens where we have no choice but to take care of it. I look at it like our our body, our emotions, um, so many things, they're, they're light, the lights on our, our engine dashboard, and you can ignore them for a period of time. It says you need gas, you need servicing. Okay, well, I can probably still go extra couple kilometers. I can keep going. And then all of a sudden your car stops and you are at the side of a road and it's random. It's the middle of the night. There's no one around. You didn't get to choose. And it's basically like, you got to take care of the car. And so I think when people are in that constant state of dysregulation, what we see is people do start experiencing chronic illness, chronic pain, relationships, breakdown, um, lots of just personal troubles, mental health challenges, anxiety, depression. These are all things I think that are indicators that we are not taking care of what's going on in our nervous system. Maybe we have a lot of suppressed emotions. Maybe we're living a life that's not in alignment with our values or, or what we want. But when the body and the mind are in competition, the body will win. The body will eventually say, you are going to take care of me. And that's why we see so many people struggle with chronic pain and stress and uh, burnt out. That's why we see pe people with these struggles because they've been ignoring it. And the body's just like, no, I'm not going anywhere until you deal with me. This is it. So does the body really keep the score? And I know this the body really keeps the score. It's really true. Yeah. And it's also Gabor Mate's book, um, mm -hmm. When the Body Says No. When the body says no, you will listen. And, mm -hmm. and you think about even like the three of us have been through divorce. That is a form of our body was saying no. Whether it was a divorce that we initiated or was initiated, there was a breakdown and you're forced to deal with it. And some people, it may be a divorce. Some people, it may be mental health. Some people, it's chronic pain. Some people, it's, you know, irritable bowel syndrome and migraines and all these other things that have mind-body components. The body is letting you know, and it's, it's really going to sit there over and over and over until you're going to do something about it. 
because it it's like, sorry, we're stuck on the side of the highway and we're not going anywhere until you, you fix me. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Um, in my work that I've done personally, uh, my coach has helped me learn how to communicate with my body. And I don't think that's something that we're taught in as a general rule in our society. How do you teach your clients to communicate with their body? I think a lot of it starts with just observing what is going on in the body that felt sense. A lot of times we try to use language to describe what is happening around us and it is just sitting and absorbing it. Um, I do a lot of uh, that internal scanning. So that interoception, you can do that through meditation, talking to your body through your breath recognizing where your breath is and what your breath is doing. That is a big indicator as to where you are in regulation and dysregulation, um, pain and tension, pressure, all those things in your body, cramping, all those things are indicating we, if we're speaking a language of fear, it's going to intensify. So even playing around cognitively with our language of how we describe things, how we approach things. Um, movement is another way to communicate with our body. How do we feel inclined to move? Where, where do we have an impulse to move? Anything creative. There's just so many ways. I think it's individual for people and it's important that they are able to explore posture is another way that we can communicate we say a lot with our posture with our facial expression there's just so many it's just being aware of the number i mean there are endless ways that our body is communicating it's just if we've been again stuck in dysregulation especially in that lower part you may be completely numb and we may have to start with just like, this is my arm. This is, you know, that sensation, just that light touch. People are at different levels of, of where they're at. Wow. So have you found wisdom in like talking to your body? Like, have you been able to discover things that maybe you didn't know before? Oh, absolutely. This, this, this exercise and activity. Absolutely. Yeah. My body, <laughs> my body is very talkative. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so am I, but, <laughs> um, but I didn't know that that pain and, um, you know, the tightness and those things was my body trying to communicate with me until I learned about this and mm -hmm. learning about that. I am like, oh, wow. My body's constantly sending me messages mm -hmm. of what I need to do. And sometimes I'm listening and sometimes I'm not. So it really does take that practice. And I think mm -hmm. it, that you talked about earlier, Leah, it, where you, the more you practice, the more resilient you can mm -hmm. get and the quicker you understand what your body's trying to say. Mm -hmm. I will right. say my jaw talks to me on a regular basis. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't always understand what it's trying to tell me, mm -hmm. but at this point I'm like, oh, pay attention. That's right. Um, it's kind of like learning another language. It I is. Yeah. Actually am fluent in French yeah. and, um, that's a whole nother story, but well, I'm from Quebec, so we could probably <laughs> yeah, at some time I learned it in Africa, but okay. at, at some point, like I actually finally understood what a word meant. Like right. there, it was being said over and over and over again, but I didn't really understand what it meant mm -hmm. or the um, implications behind the word, the nuances behind the word. Right. 
But at some point I learned that. And the same thing with your body, like uh, my jaw is speaking to me. Eventually I'm going to be like, oh, that's what it means. But that's right. I'm yeah. still kind of like trying yeah. to get those nuances. Yeah. And I think pain isn't, that's why I said this is a whole other topic for uh, another podcast, but I think pain is one that we've been taught to think that pain means structurally something is wrong in the body. And that is true for acute pain, that when something happens acutely, that's true. But chronic pain, our body is amazing. It heals. So chronic pain is usually trying to tell us something else. It's Mm -hmm. a signal that okay, what is going on? And chronic pain is often trying to tell us of not a physical problem, not a structural problem, but there's something going on, maybe emotionally, there's something happening in your life. And so the wisdom in that pain is, okay, what's happening? Why am I getting that jaw trouble? Why, why do I consistently get, you know, I, I struggled with IBS for years and years and years. And when I had my children, it started to subside. And when I got divorced, it was almost gone. And I used to think, and it was only later on that I realized that that was my body talking to me. I was in such a state of dysregulation, a state of alert, a state of stress. That's how my body was communicating. And it's, now, I mean, it's dramatically reduced. It still comes up because I still go through things in my life, but now I have the wisdom of, okay, what's going on here? What's happening? Why are you, am I, what can I do to help the situation? What can I do to calm down? I don't get freaked out about it. I don't have that same fear that I had in my twenties. Oh no, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do that. It's just like, oh, again, you're here. What are you trying to tell me? And I think pain and a lot of our illnesses, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to communicate with us. Oh my gosh. So good. Oh my gosh. Okay. I want to keep going, but I know we're so past time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, Before we wrap up um, or maybe in the mid or as we're wrapping up, I just have one other quick question and then and then if you have any last minute question or last questions, Julie, that you want to ask um, Leah, but my question to you is, and I don't ask this of all my guests, but, um, but I feel like I need to ask you this question. Um, what does it mean to you to lead with grace when it comes to healing our body? Oh, that is a good question. I, um, I love that grace is, is there. Because grace to me represents everything about my relationship with my savior. And so to lead with grace is really to create a life where I am trying to um, be that example, follow in his footsteps, regulate myself, become more resilient. And as that resilient person, I can be that resilient parent, that resilient partner, that resilient coach, and I can help lead people, whether or not, you know, I, I do work with some people within our faith. I I have a lot of, of people outside of our faith. And to me, whether we're leading them back to Christ or we're leading them back to that home, resilient, safe place, it's kind of the same thing, whatever they want to call it. And that to me is, is leading with grace. Thank you so much. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. 
your experiences, your expertise, and your um, your faith and conviction in where we can find that that homeostasis and coming home, right? Mm -hmm. That's what it's about. It's coming home. I actually posted on. Um, I talked a couple of weeks ago with my uh, training group all about coming home. And then I shared with them, you know, what does it feel like for you coming home? Because that's what we're always trying to create and what can be our cues. And I shared with them the, the clip of the video of um, my son who he's returned home from his mission a couple of years ago, but I shared with them that clip. And I was just like, every time I watch that clip, you know, there's even as I see him coming as during COVID time. So it wasn't like the grand that we thought it was going to be. But I see myself with a little hop, I jump and then I, you know, come to his arms and I see how he, you know, gets his brother to come close to him. And I'm like, this to me is coming home. Mm -hmm. That feeling is just a glimpse of what I always want to have in my heart. And I will watch that video over and over and over again, because I think there's nothing like that feeling of coming home. And to me, that's sort of been the closest it's ever been is, is having him come home after so many ups and downs in that crazy, crazy time of missions, as well as the crazy time of COVID. So it is all about coming home to me. Thank you for sharing that. Any other thoughts or questions that you have, Julie? I don't. I think that wraps it up really nicely. All right. Awesome. Well, so before we end, can you share with um, my listeners where they can find you and follow you and, sure. and come to know more about the work that you yeah. So I am on Instagram and Facebook at Leah Davidson Life Coaching, and I have my website's Leah Davidson Life Coaching, and I have a podcast called Building Resilience. And so I talk all about all this stuff on the podcast. And then for coaches, I also do a training called the Advanced Training in Nervous System Resilience, and we'll be getting ready to do cohort number two in the fall. So I'm excited about that because I'm just so excited to help people combine the tools of the mind with the tools of the body. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And, um, I will uh, make sure to have all your information um, in the show notes so that mm -hmm. the listeners can click on to any of your resources. And you also have a freebie, right? If I recall, yeah, I have a freebie. It's called the 30 minute solution to burnout. And really that is a great introduction to the nervous system. I talk about it in terms of burnout, uh -huh. um, but the tools that I teach are the introduction stages to, to nervous system regulation. Yeah. So that would be great for, um, for you listeners. If you're wondering if this is a fit for you, if this is like the right path, um, I'll make sure to have a link to her freebie and then um, have access to it and clearly um, follow Leah. And I know that um, if you have any questions, you can reach out to her and she can help. For you sure. Absolutely. Can. Happy to help. Right. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank, thank you everyone for being here with us and being part of this conversations. If you have any questions, please reach out to me or reach out to Leah, or if you want to reach out to Julie. <laughs> so, <laughs> then I will have her information on there because you do coaching too, right? I do. I do general life coaching yes. and I incorporate a lot of these tools in my general life coaching because that's what I've found people need so much of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and then like, I would say like all three of us, because of what we've gone through, we have found what works for us and mm -hmm. um, coming to realize that 
it's not just all mindset work. Like there is body work right. that needs to be needed. Yeah. So, um, so I will also have Julie finish on If that's okay. Yeah. All right. All right. We will talk to you all later. Thank you so much. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to this podcast today. And if you are an LDS woman going through separation and divorce, I invite you to my free women's group called Women at the Well. And you can find the link in the show notes. And here, we harness our discipleship by asking and receiving personal revelation, seeing and recognizing the power of God through everyday miracles, and to walk the covenant path through a greater conversion to Jesus Christ.